Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices, Past and Present. Brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, www.ihconvention.com. The sermon you're going to hear today is by Earl Newton. It was preached back in 1996, and it's titled, Unclogging the Channels. I know you'll enjoy this wonderful sermon. to you that I had a real battle, a real struggle concerning the message for this evening. I do have, I do have a few messages that I suppose would edify someone, but it seems that so many times the Lord lays truth on my heart and I, I wonder, well, Lord, why don't you let me preach a good message every now and then? <laughs> I have so enjoyed sitting under Brother Walker's ministry. It's so uplifting and so edifying. But uh, you keep praying. I'll do my very best to mind God and preach what he lays on my heart. But I felt for this service that we ought to talk to us tonight from the thought of unclogging the channels. Unclogging the channels. Now... Our text is in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. And our text tonight is both good news and then it's bad news. But let's notice the good news first. He said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Now here's the bad news, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Friend, that's bad news. Oh, I trust somehow God would help me to be able to bear my heart, and he'd help you to 
Brother French was preaching about some of those old-time camps and revivals and talking about the people that would literally fall out under the power. Sometimes sinners fall out and stay out for two or three hours, and when they came to, they were converted. It just overwhelmed me, so I, I talked to Brother French. I said, Brother French, I said, why aren't we seeing some of that today? And I asked him a point-blank question. I said, Brother French, do you pray as you one time prayed? And he said, Brother Newton, I believe I do. And one thing that he said to me, he said, I'm just going to have to confess, he said, in my early ministries that I preached a lot on covered sin. But he said in the latter years, he said, I've tried to preach more of an encouraging message to the church. He said, Brother Newton, if I had it to go over with, he said, I'd preach more on covered sin than I ever did. You know, Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Now, I'm just persuaded tonight that there is a reason why a lot of people do not prosper. Spiritually. There's a reason why some people live under a cloud. There's a reason why some people never pray through anymore. By the way, how long has it been since you really prayed through? I mean, you touched heaven. There's a reason why some people can't give a good, clear-cut testimony without lying. Their testimony is always so vague and so indefinite. Friend, there's a reason why some people never get blessed anymore. How long has it been since your soul just literally overflowed with the blessing from heaven? I remember a lady in our church when I was just a boy, she'd get blessed and she'd shout and God would honor her shouting and sometimes the altar would lie, the glory would come in the midst. But then some church problems arose. And to my knowledge, after those church problems came, to my knowledge, I never remember that woman shouting again. The only thing that I can attribute to the I just attribute the fact that she became embittered. Bitter in her spirit and in her soul. Did you know there's a lot of people because of difficult situations that have come up, they've let it embitter them in their spirit. And friend, you can't get blessed when you have bitterness in your heart. Really, to be honest with you, that's the reason why some preachers do not prosper. And just having been over the conference for a few years, brother, I've experienced a lot of things in the ministry that I never knew exist. Some things I wished I, I wished I, I just wished I never knew that they did exist. Many, many times we've had ministers make application to come into the connection and we, we have to go through a 
process, the process of their application, checking up. I've got to a place where I spend a lot of money making a lot of phone calls to check up anymore. We had one man fill out an application and send anyone to join our conference. He said he'd been saved 18 years, sanctified 17 years, and we almost had to his application process. And one of the men on the board called me and said, Brother Newton, said, I wish you'd check in a certain area. He said, I, I heard something, said, I don't know that there's any truth in it, but just check in this area before we finish processing this. So I made some phone calls and checked up, and sure enough, just previous, just a few years previous to this, this man had run off with another woman and had been gone for a year and a half. Lost his credentials with another group. And now he was making application to come with us. Saved 18 years, sanctified 17 years. I found out if a man will run off with a woman living in adultery for a year and a half, he'll lie on his application for him also. But friend, that's sad. Another another preacher was there was some question mark came up and, and the board just they just requested that he come in and discuss a matter with him. And so he walked in and he, he came up to the board and he reached he got his pocketbook out and got his credentials out of his pocketbook. He just walked up to the table where these men were seated and he took his credentials and he tore them into pieces and he threw them down on the table. He said, There, he said, he said, You can have your old credentials. Now, that fellow joined another group, but I want you to know he didn't prosper in that group either. Let me tell you something. Friend, you can't show an attitude and a disposition like that and fail to go back and straighten it up. You'll never prosper again. God will never bless you again. You know, Genesis 4, 7, God said to Cain, if thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Let me say something to us, friend, tonight. If we'll just do what's right in the sight of God, if we'll just do what's right, we will be accepted by God. And really, we'll be accepted by God's people. Oh, there may be a few hypocrites and a few Pharisees that won't accept you, but, but I'll tell you, you'll be accepted by God and by God's people if you'll do what's right. You know, I found out there's a lot of people that want the benefits of Christianity without the purity. We had a fellow down our way, professed to be a preacher. My, he'd get up in the service and just project himself and project himself, just testify and testify. Actually, what he was doing, he was wanting to be accepted by the people. All the time, just killing the meeting just as dead, dead, dead. It amazes how some people never come to the realization that their testimony kills the meeting. But he wasn't accepted. And the reason he wasn't accepted, well, the first reason he wouldn't pay his bills. He never did pay his school bills. Wife finally came in and said, I know my husband's not going to pay that bill. She said, Can I put $5 a month on it? I know it's paid. And I said, You can. 
sex a number of different times. He'd made advances toward different women. No, friend, he wasn't accepted. There's a reason why a lot of people are not accepted. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. I know another fellow. He'd drive, my, he'd drive for 50 miles to attend a little church where he could get up and testify and shout. He'd bypass a lot of good, conservative, old-fashioned churches in order to get to this one 50 miles away where the people didn't know him. You see, it was because on the job that he'd fly mad every now and then and have an old fit. And I was told that on certain occasions when he'd get so mad he'd use foul language. But he'd bypass these good churches and go to one way off so that he could shout and testify. I want to ask you, friend, can you testify around, just I mean right at home, around the people you that know you the best, you know that you live around? Do you get blessed and can you shout the victory around the ones that know your life just as you live it? Let me say, friend, it doesn't take very much to clog the channels. Really does. You remember Aiken's sin? He just took one wedge of gold, a little silver, one Babylonian gun, but it stopped the armies of Israel and brought great defeat to the cause of God and the loss of many innocent lives. And do you know that God held all Israel responsible for Aiken's sin? I mean, God wouldn't come. He wouldn't bless. He wouldn't give one victory. Israel could not move until Achan's sin was uncovered and dealt with. Let me say to his friends, it's a lot easier. Just uh, sweep sin under the rug. A lot easier to smooth things over than it is to just face it as it is and deal with the matter. And that's why I'm so staunch for dealing with issues when they come up. Look people in the eyes and deal with these matters. You remember Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? He said, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Or if you want to just put it in everyday language, Paul was just simply saying everybody's talking about the terrible sin that's going on there in the church. He said to think that actually a professing church member, someone there in the church, is actually living with his own father's wife. Now the Bible doesn't tell us as to whether he was living with his own mother or whether she was a stepmother. But at any rate, we have a clear-cut case of incest here. And friends, it might astonish us. It might astonish us. 
times between fathers and their daughters and between brothers and sisters and just between those of the kinfolk of the household. I really don't know how much to say here. I know we had to expel one girl from our school. She had all the symptoms of a child of incest. But she was she was making advances toward other girls and some of the younger girls. And she became so rebellious until we had to expel her. And sure enough, a little later on, we found out that her father not only not only had he molested her, but also he had molested her sister. And this was one of those fellows that couldn't find a church, you know. He jumped from here and here and here. He couldn't find a church that was spiritual enough for him. You better watch these jumpers. One fellow got disgusted his pastor. He'd been with already been in two or three different groups and he got disgusted with, with this pastor and he told him he said well he said uh, he said I'll just leave he said I don't have to go to church here and his pastor looked at him and said why well, I said that's okay he said it doesn't hurt to change the labels on an empty bottle and let me tell you something friend I found out I found out when you've got these fellows that are ultra radical you know they get out here steps and she would hear the steps begin to creak and she would cringe on it. 
she said from the time I was seven until I was 18 years old. And you'd be amazed at the women that are having emotional problems. And it's hard for them to adjust in marriage because of this awful sin of incest. I thought about that young 18-year-old girl that confessed out here her parents were her her father and mother in an old-fashioned conservative holiness church, big workers in the church. Yet today, <clears throat> today her life is devastated. And all in all, I was in a meeting sometime back. This young lady known her for years. She served on the mission field. She told me, she said, Brother Newton, she said, preach it, preach it everywhere you go. She said, she said, tell people not to get into the same situation that I'm in. But she had read, she would read some in a periodical goes all over this nation, practically. She read some things in there, and she went to her pastor, and she tried her very best to persuade him to cancel and not have us come for that meeting. But he told her that he felt like he'd prayed and got the mind of the Lord and that he thought we should come on. However, I don't believe that was the full reason why she didn't want us to come. Let me say something to you, friend. You ought to be careful what kind of literature you let come into your house. There's some things I won't allow in my house. You said, but Brother Newton, there's some good articles in there. No doubt about it. But I don't let some of these things come into my house for the same reason that I don't have a television. Brother, there's some good things occasionally that come in over television, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna slurp through a bunch of slop in order to get something good. And I wouldn't be surprised that not probably a hundred people here tonight that needs to put unsolicited on some papers and send it back. Return to sinner. Because if you truly love God, you don't want that kind of swap, gossip, lies. I know you're not going to shout me to hell. <laughs> One preacher, in fact, is Brother Eisenhart over here. When I held him a revival several years ago, Brother Eisenhart had been saved out of a hippie line. And after he started pastoring, he said this paper, a periodical, began to come into his house. And he said, I got a hold of it and took it upstairs and said, I read for about 15 minutes in it and said it was downing our, our holiness leaders and downing our schools, our Christian schools, and just tearing everything down. He 
said, I read about 15 minutes. And he said, God, the Holy Ghost convicted me. He said, I dropped down on my knees and began to pray. And he said, I promised God if he would forgive me, I'd never read that kind of stuff again. And yet, friend, we've got people all across this nation that claim to be the old-fashioned kind of folk, you know, and they can't hardly wait until the next gossip comes in. Let me tell you something, friend. I don't believe in spreading gossip. I don't want people filling my ears with gossip, and neither am I going to read it out of a supposedly holiness paper. Well, that's a little bit extra. <laughs> Some of you can slip me a hundred dollar bill after the service is over for preaching that. I mean the one you intended to send to that. Well, <laughs> but she read in this periodical and gone to her pastor, and, and we came home from the meeting not knowing a thing on earth. But she got an old-fashioned conviction. I mean old-fashioned, heaven-sent conviction. And she lost 10 pounds during that meeting. And right toward the last of the meeting, she came to me and she said, Brother Newton, she said, I've got to talk to you. And I considered the situation. I said, all right, we'll meet out in the chapel area where the, where the people are passing through. And so we met out there, and the first thing she told me about was what I've told you. She tried to block this. And then she, she said, Brother Newton, I, I'm not even a Christian. She said, I'm not saved. And I thought to myself, my, the devil sure is fighting this poor soul. And I was getting ready to give her com comfort. But brother, I want you to know, before she finished, I was agreeing with her. I mean, she'd been brought up in a holiness home. She knew the language. She'd been to the mission field. But she said, I'm not saved. I want to get saved. Friend, there's multitudes of people like that among us. Brother, she told me about this relationship she was having with a holiness preacher. I mean, this spiritual affinity that existed between them for four years. They had sign language. When he was on the pulpit or on the platform, they had sign language that they would give to each other. Her out in the congregation, him on the platform. They've been telling each other they loved each other for a long time. His wife did babysitting, and while she was away babysitting, why this this lady would come to the parsonage, and the preacher told her, "said You you come around the back and park park your car at the back, so nobody will see it." She broke down. She said, oh, Brother Newton, she said, I went there a number of times. She said, it's only a miracle. It's only the mercy of God. There's something tragic didn't come out of this. And then she told me, she said, oh, she said, Brother Newton, she said, I don't know what to do. She said, you know, I have a stepfather. I said, yes. She said, Brother Newton, my stepfather has molested me more than a dozen times sexually. She said, what am I going to do? I looked at that young woman. I said, you're going to have to confess out, and you're going to have to come clean with God and with your fellow man.
She said, you mean I'm going to have to contact my mother and my stepfather? I said, you certainly are. I know a lot of preachers would advise different from this. But let me tell you something, friend. You're either going to confess your sin, you're going to confess it as broad as you committed it, or you're going to die in this heaven. You're going to go to hell, friend. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. She said, Brother Dear God, she was hungry. Friend, don't you wish people would get into old-fashioned conviction like they one time did? I mean, she was under it. She couldn't hardly. She said, I've got to have the victory. And so she left. She left the chapel and she went out and called her mother. And she confessed out and got the thing straightened up with her. She said, Brother Newton, am I going to have to contact that preacher? I said, you sure are. She said, would you, would you call him for me and get him on the line? I said, I'll do my best. And I called him up, got him on the line. And really, I was tickled because his wife got on the other line also. And I stood there while she talked to him and confessed out and told him to destroy the letters that she had written and the notes that she had written. And she said, we're breaking this off. She said, I'm sorry. I want you to forgive me. And that precious woman came to the altar on that Friday night and Saturday night and Sunday night, and she came through with sky blue victory. And a little bit later on, she wrote my wife and I and told us how wonderfully God had sanctified her holy. You say, Brother Nick, what are you talking about? I'm talking about covering sin. I could go on and on here, but I'm, go, I'm not going to mention anymore. It's too tragic to even think about some of these things. But Paul wrote to this church at Corinth. He said, he said to them, while you're puffed up, he said, here you are professing to be such a spiritual church, but said you're all puffed up talking about your spirituality why he said you ought to be on your face you ought to be going down in sorrow and humility until this thing is dealt with he said don't you know that just a little leaven will leaven the whole lot he said if one person in the church is allowed to continue living in sin he said it won't be long until everybody will be affected he said now I'm going to tell you what to do he said you call a meeting of the church together and he said the power of the Lord Jesus Christ will be there in your midst and he said I'll be there in spirit and he said you deal with this matter he said cast this man out of your fellowship delivering deliver him into the hands of Satan in the hope that his soul will be saved. And if you read in 2 Corinthians, brother, this fellow, after his sin was exposed and dealt with, this fellow sorrowed his way back to God through repentance. Paul said, deal with this evil person, this cancer, that's among you, that ye may stay pure. He went on and made it clear 
that we were not to judge those who were without, those that were on the outside. But he said, those that are professing and that are part of the church, he said, we're to judge them sternly. Friend, it's so easy just to pass sin by and sweep it under the rug and try to go right on feeling like God's going to come, he's going to bless, he's going to help. No, my friend, we'll clog up the channels and will keep God from getting through to us and giving revival. I want to tell you something, friend, so much has surfaced in the last few years until if you want to know if you want to know the truth, it's amazing that God gets through to us as well as He does. So many times we go to the to go to a church or go to a place to try to have revival, and there's channels that are clogged, and and you can sense God wants to come, God wants to bless, He wants to give revival, but friend, His hands are tied. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sin. Sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And we get into so many churches and it's just grinding on the wheels. And I tell you, things are tied up and you fast and you pray and you wonder, oh God, why can't we, why can't we have revival here? There's a reason why, friend. I went to church not long ago. And it was grinding on the wheels. It was hard going. I was fasting. I was praying. I was seeking the face of God. I was trying to get the mind of the Lord for the messages. One day I was riding in the town with the pastor. I said, now, brother, I don't want you to tell me one thing. But I said, I want to make a statement to you. I said, something's got this meeting tied up. And he just shook his head. But I was preaching, if I recall correctly, on Friday night. And while I was preaching, all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost spoke to my heart and said, Son, said, there's your problem right there. Here was a young man, a woman. This man was on the church board. Here was this man, his wife. And they'd been backing me, raising their hands, saying, Praise God. Amen, preacher, just backing me. And yet the Holy Ghost just as clearly said, there's your problem. I just preached right on through the service. And after the service was all over, they lived about 30 miles from the church. They got almost home. They turned around. They came back. I'd already, already gone to the parsonage. In fact, I'd already gone back to my bedroom. They knocked on the parsonage door. Said they wanted to speak with evangelists over at the church. So I went on back over to the church and, and we sat down. We sat down right in the front, this man, his wife, and myself. And they said, uh, Brother Newton, we just felt like that you ought to know a few things and, and we wanted to talk with you. And so they started in on the pastor and his wife. And I let him go for just a little while. And then I stood up and I said, I said, just a moment. I said, I'll be back. Just where are you going? Well, I said, I'm going over to get the pastor. And his wife. Oh, no. I said, we, said, we just wanted to talk with you. We I said, oh, no. 
I said, you brought up the pastor and his wife, and you're making some serious accusations here. I said, I'll be back in just a few moments. And so I went over to the pastor's and got the pastor and his wife and brought them back up. And I looked at him and I said, now tell me again in front of the pastor and the wife what you were just telling me. Well, that's the way to deal with a problem. <laughs> and so they very cautiously came out with it again. I said, Pastor, how do you respond to that? And he responded. And when he did, the fellow shook his head. Why? He said, I, I didn't know that. I said, now, sister, tell us what you told us. She, she came out with I said, now, Pastor, he responded, I said, I didn't know that. And after it was all over, that man hugged his pastor, and that woman hugged the pastor's wife. They said, we're so sorry. I mean, he was on the official board. He turned about half the church board against the preacher, and they had about half the congregation turned against him. said, we're so sorry. We'll go back to these that we've talked to and we'll, we'll make this thing right. But let me tell you something, friend. The sad part about it is they didn't do what they said they would do. They didn't go and make it right. And that church split in about three different directions. There's so many times the channels are clogged and God can't get he wants to give revival, but he can't. I thought about that ten years ago when Brother Rob French came to a place where we were working and laboring. There was a school involved, a church involved, annual camp involved, and he was preaching in the camp meeting. Things were tied up, and he was struggling. But if you ever knew Brother Rob French, brother, when he got about halfway through a meeting and things weren't moving, so many times he would call the leaders together. And that's exactly what he did. He called the church leaders and the school leaders and also the camp leaders all together. And they met over in the classroom. And uh, Brother French, in his, in his peculiar way, he began to humble himself. And he went around and humbled himself too. And I'll tell you something else. When he got started, though, he could, he could ask some mighty pointed questions. And it didn't come out in that meeting, but it came out a little bit later on. Listen, friend, the leader of that work was living in gross immorality. And, friend, it had that campaign tied up. God can't come so many times because the channels are clogged and sin has to be uncovered and dealt with. You've heard Brother French tell about that revival effort they were in, he and his wife, how they were praying and fasting and seeking the face of God. And over in the meeting, the Lord began to reveal to them that the church treasurer was taking a little money from the treasury. Brother French said, oh, we better pray some more. We've got to be careful. And Brother, the Holy Ghost kept impressing the church treasurer is taking money from the treasury. And so they finally called the pastor in the church treasurer, and they faced him with the matter, and sure enough, he broke down and confessed out. I don't know what happened. 
I suppose this man had a financial need. Maybe he decided to take a little bit out of the treasury, you know, and pay, pay this little need off, thinking I'll get it, I'll get it back sometime later. I really don't know whether that's what happened or not. And maybe after that, he got into a worse situation and need a little more. But I'll tell you, friend, it's a dangerous thing to try to trifle with God's money. You'd be surprised at the money that's misappropriated. So many, many times, God's going to hold us accountable. But he confessed out and God broke in on the meeting. I've thought about several meetings that I've been in. My, I was in one, one, one well, there was a small camp there in a church and school involved in this meeting. It was just grinding on the wheels, just tied up. We was having this trouble. I thought, oh, God, can't you come get your breath? I, I remember, if I remember, praise on Wednesday morning, a lady sitting out here, she got to her feet in one of the morning services. She got to her feet and she said, folks, she said, I don't know what the rest of you are going to do, but she said, I'm going to confess out. She said, you, you know how we've been fussing and bickering and quarreling over here in the church? She said, I'm tired of it. And she said, not only that, but she said, I've been sneaking off. She called someplace. I've been sneaking off here and said, I've been secretly watching television. She said, folk, I'm sorry. I want you to forgive me. She said, I'm going to this altar. She said, I'm going to ask God to forgive me. She said, I, I won't victory in my soul. Brother, like the little boy that swallowed the fly, one thing brought up another. It wasn't long until another lady was on her feet, and she was confessing out. And then another one over here on their feet, and they were confessing out. And before that service ended, that altar was lined with church members. They were seeking God, and I watched that situation also. Brother, it wasn't long until this one got up and came over here, and this one got up and came over here. And they were making adjustments and fixing things up with one another. And I didn't count them, but the song leader told me it was on Friday night when that thing broke loose. And he said, he said, Brother Newton, I counted them. There was 45 at the altar, and many of them were young people. Let me tell you, friend, when we as God's professing people, when we as church people, we begin to obey God, and we begin to do what God shows us. It's not hard for God to get a hold of the sinner in the backslider back there. But I say again, it's mighty hard for God to pull sinners and backsliders over the head of a lot of church people that won't mind it and try to get them in. I thought about that church. One time an old-fashioned pilgrim holiness church. And I thought to myself, no, I suppose they would have called me there for a meeting, <laughs> but they wouldn't have. This fellow was on the board. You see, this man belonged to the church. He was on the official board. And not only that, but he sang every Sunday in the choir. 
And one of the other brethren in the church told me one time after this came out, he told me, he said, why, Brother Newton, now I can see so clearly, I understand. He said when we'd have a board meeting and, and try to call an evangelist in, he said he rooted for He wanted to get the most liberal evangelist that we could possibly. He didn't want to get anybody that would preach against sin. But it came out on him. He was a married man, but he was living with another woman and had been living with her for 13 years. She attended another church, but she got sick and tired of that kind of a situation. Finally came to the altar in her church and confessed out. But I thought to myself, if they would have called me to go to that church and we'd have labored and prayed and fasted and thought nobody on earth would ever dream that man was guilty of that. Boy, we'd have worked and prayed and thought, oh God, surely we're missing it some way. Why can't you get through to us? But the channels were clogged. By the way, it's probably been 20 years since there's been a conversion in that church. I went to another meeting. It was a 10-day meeting. We fasted, prayed. It was grinding on the wheels. I mean, there was a little trickle at the altar, but I remember we closed out on Sunday night, and I was so discouraged. I rode up the road, and I said, oh, God. I said, I've tried my very best to get the mind of the Spirit. Surely, I said, surely, I, I preached the wrong truth here. Lord, something something was wrong. I just, I just blamed and condemned myself. But about a year later, I was in another church close by in a revival. And this lady who was one of the main ladies in the church, I mean, she appeared to be such a saint, such a godly woman. And she walked up to me. She said, Brother Newton, do you remember when you held the meeting in our church? I said, I certainly do. I said, I'll never forget that meeting. She said, well, Brother Newton, I've got a confession to make to you. She said, when you were there in that meeting, she said, I was as backslidden in my heart as I could possibly be. And she said, God dealt with me. Oh, she said, he, he stole with my heart and said, I almost confessed that. But she said, I wouldn't come to the altar and I wouldn't confess it. She said, I was afraid of what the people would think. But she said, Brother Newton, I've been to Hope Sound. And she said, I went to the altar there and said, God has forgiven me. She said, Brother Newton, would you please forgive me? She said, I know I've tried it that me. I said, why, certainly, sister. I said, you're forgiven. But in my heart, I wondered how many souls may have missed it forever because that one woman tied up that revival effort and wouldn't obey God. I wonder sometimes, friend, just by simply failing to move out Just by simply failing to confess the leanness of our soul. 
It may not be some hideous sin. One lady in a revival that I was in, she was the wife of a leading evangelist in the Pilgrim Homeless Church. She stood up in the back. She said, Folk, I've got a confession to make. She said, I've become so busy, so busy doing housework. She had, they had four children. She said, I, I've become so busy with my family, my children, getting meals, getting them off to school, cleaning the house. She said, I've neglected my devotional life. And she said, she said, I don't love the world out there nor the things in the world. But she said, I've lost something out of my soul. I've lost the teenage of my experience. She said, I want to come to the altar. And brother broke that meeting up. She came to the altar in just a few minutes. There was a shine and a glow upon her countenance as God had forgiven and cleared up the leanness in her soul. It may be, friend, it may be the sin of lack of love to God. It may be the sin of lack of love for souls. It may simply be just the sin of indifference. It may be the sin of gossip or evil speaking. It may be the sin of bitterness. I don't know what it is that God may deal with you about. But if we as God's people would be willing to just open up and remind them, if God could break through our hearts and give us an old-fashioned heaven-sent Holy Ghost camp meeting. A number of years ago, I was laboring in a place we were short-staffed, and we were working, the staff was working about 14, 16 hours a day. And I became so busy working for the Lord. Did you know, friend, you can, you can fail to do the will of God while you're working for God? You can become so busy until you neglect the vital. And I would still go to the place of prayer, but very hurriedly I'd try to get through four or five minutes of devotion to know and then get on the job. And I went that way for a few months, and then we came home for the summer, or at least for a little while during the summer. And when I got to my wife's folk there in Virginia, I went over to her grandmother's place because the house was empty to pray. And while I was trying to pray, God began to talk to my heart. And I spent about a half a day in my wife's grandmother's house repenting. My heart was broken. The Lord shined the searchlight in my soul. He said, son, said, you've left your first love. But I said, Lord, I was at your work. I was working for you. Friend, it's possible, I say again, to fail to accomplish the will of God by Overworking ourselves in the work of God. And as I broke and God began to talk to my heart after about a half a day, He rekindled the flame in my soul. 
I'm glad tonight that I got honest with God. And I believe God wants us to get honest with Him on this camp meeting. I remember when I was here in 1982, I couldn't get over the fact. You could just sort of open the invitation, open the altar, and brother, the young people and folk would stream out of their seats in this altar with lie. And I thought about that great message on the new birth last evening. I thought to myself, they'll, they'll file out this altar will be flooded with seekers and I could hardly believe it. I wonder, I wonder what it is that's keeping God from coming and moving like he wants to move. Would you say that there may be something, maybe some light, maybe something that's clogging the channel and keeping God from moving in your life? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we'd all just purpose that we're going to be perfectly honest with God and mind Him and let God come and move in this camp like He wants to move? Would you have the courage to do that? I want us to stand together. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on.